The scripture today is from Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, where she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow, and he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning uh, would be pleasing in your sight. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Over spring break this year, which was just a couple weeks ago, uh, my son uh, brought home a a book called The Other Wes Moore. Uh, It was a spring break reading assignment uh, that he needed to read over spring break and digest and uh, I was excited that he had the chance to read it because I'd read this book probably years before and was interested uh, to discuss it with him. And of course, we had some good discussion uh, as he read it. Uh, but if you've never read the book, uh, it's about two uh, young men, both named Wes Moore, uh, who both grew up in one specific, specific neighborhood of Baltimore City. Uh, one of those Wes Moores, uh, the one that wrote the book, Uh, Later became a Rhodes Scholar, um, was very successful on Wall Street, uh, had a a distinguished military career, and just all around incredibly successful in the eyes of all uh, who knew him. 
The other Westmore uh, is currently sitting in a prison in Baltimore, uh, serving multiple life sentences for murder. And, and one of the interesting things of the book is, is what made their stories so different? What were the factors that came to play into their lives that made them so different? They grew up in the same neighborhood, had many of the same influences, but they walked incredibly different paths and wound up in incredibly different places. Well, if you've been with us, you know that we've been looking at the story of Abraham, and what we learn is that Abraham had two sons. Both of those sons had the same father. They grew up largely in the same household and in the same community, but ultimately they walked incredibly different paths from one another. And what our passage this morning does is it tells us the story about these two sons. And as we look at their stories, we find that they reveal aspects to us about the very character of God who was involved mightily in both of their stories. And as we look at them, what we discover is what God can do in our individual stories as well and in our individual lives. The first story it tells us about is the younger son, and that is the son whose name is Isaac. And we read about him in verses 1 to 7. Now, if you've been with us or if you've been paying attention to the Abraham story, if you've ever read it before, you'll know that the birth of this child, this child Isaac, was incredibly miraculous and wildly unlikely given the circumstances of Abraham and Sarah's life. About 25 years before this birth, God had visited Abraham and Sarah And he told them, he promised them that they would have a son. And at the moment of that promise, it was incredibly unlikely. What most believe is that Abraham was right around 75 years old, uh, and Sarah was probably around 68 years old, and we often don't know many people in that age range that are having children. So even when the promise came to them, at that moment, it was incredibly unlikely. But now when we look at this passage, it's even more unlikely because what we learn is that Abraham is now 100 years old and Sarah is probably around 94 years old. And so for 25 years, Abraham and Sarah had been waiting for God to come through on his promise that he would give them a child. 25 years. Imagine that. Imagine having to wait 25 years can understand that probably a good bit of unbelief and doubt began to spring up in Abraham and Sarah's hearts. Cynicism most likely had kicked in and certainly a good amount of frustration, maybe even anger at God, had kicked in. Why did God continue to promise a child but consistently not follow through on his promises? Is he really trustworthy? Is he really going to come through on this thing that he has promised to us? And no doubt, probably a large part of them had resigned themselves that God was not going to come through. They had resigned themselves to the fact that this promise would not be fulfilled in their lives. 
And then our passage opens up. Then Genesis 21 opens up and it says in, in almost a very understated or nonchalant way, the passage says this, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. I had to laugh this week reading it and thinking about the Abraham story for so many weeks now and how a matter of fact the passage says this. It feels so underwhelming, but the answer ultimately is obvious. God comes through on his promises. He comes through on his promises. The promises of God are not limited by anyone's age or their level of health. The promises of God were not even limited by Sarah's unbelief and her cynicism. The promises of God were not even frustrated by Abraham's disobedience all throughout the story. And that's because the promises of God are rooted in the character of God. He is perfect. He is unchanging. And therefore, because of that, his promises are firm and they are secure. This is a great comfort to me, at least, because I realize that the strength of the promises of God, at least in this story, the strength of the promises of God were not rooted in Abraham and Sarah. They weren't rooted in their quality of faith, which was lacking in many instances. But the promises of God are rooted in the unchanging character of the promiser. They're rooted in the unchanging character of God who is most high. Isaac's name after he is born is given, and his name means laughter. And and I really love the play on, on this word, laughter, that you see throughout the Abraham narrative. Because if you were with us last week, you'll remember in Genesis 19, God comes back to Abraham and says once again, he says, I'm going to come to you in about a year and you're going to have a child at that point. And if you remember the story, Sarah is in the next tent. She's listening in on this conversation. And when she hears the promise articulated again, she laughs. But but it's in many ways a laugh of derision, Because at that moment, all of her unbelief and cynicism were behind that laughter, behind her response. And and even she was a little embarrassed that that unbelief and cynicism were on display for everyone to see. But then you go just two chapters later, Genesis 21, which we just read, and Sarah is laughing again. But at this moment, her laughter is quite different than the laughter you saw in Genesis 19. It says this in verse 6. And, Ab- and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a child? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You see, this is a very different Laughter. This is the laughter of of unbelievable and unexpected joy. It's the laughter that it's informed by Sarah who can't even get her mind around what has just happened. She is so joyful because of it. It has shattered her expectations. It has shattered her entrenched hopelessness that she must have felt. It has cut through all of her unbelief 
and all of her cynicism. You see, friends, I think that that even as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I have this great temptation or this great propensity to become just like Sarah, to become locked in all sorts of unbeliefs and locked in all sorts of cynicism. And sometimes it's, it's not reflect in, it reflected in what we do pray for. It's instead reflected in what we've stopped praying for or what we don't pray for anymore. Maybe you've stopped believing that, that a coworker or a family member or a friend would ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've stopped believing personally that you can ever move past some sort of sin or temptation or addiction that feels like it's got an incredibly strong grip on your heart. Or maybe you've become cynical about a troubled relationship in your life that you just believe will never get any better. And you see, this sort of cynicism affects the way we pray. It affects the way we think about God. It affects the way we view this thing called faith. And at the end of the day, it never leads to joy. It only leads to hardened bitterness in our hearts. Maybe, just maybe, God needs to visit all of us with the laughter of unexpected joy. You see, there's graciousness also in this joy in what we see in Sarah in particular, because at this moment, Sarah must have been feeling a certain measure of remorse, right? For 25 years of unbelief, She has doubted God. She's been locked in her cynicism. And she had to have that inner monologue in her heart. I've doubted God. I've given way to criticism. I've stopped believing that God would come through. And yet, he gave me a son anyway. Despite my lack of faith, he gave me a son anyway. And it's a reminder to all of us that God's promises are always, always, soaked in a large measure of grace. But just because Isaac is born, it doesn't mean that everything is rainbow and sunshine in Abraham's house. And we learn that as we read further, because what we discover is there's another son in the house as well. We have old friends who uh, often tell the story. They have two sons, and the sons are grown up now, and they often tell the story about uh, when, the, when their second son was born. And when they discovered that they were pregnant, they began prepping their older son, who was about two and a half years old, prepping their older son. You're going to have a little brother. Uh, he's going to come around here. We're going to work it out. We're going to embrace and love this child. And they did everything they could. But they often tell the story about how one day when when they gave birth to child number two and they brought the older child in to meet child number two, he had a really hard time with it. In fact, at one point they looked over, I kid you not, they looked over and their older son was banging his head against the radiator in the hospital room because he could not bear to see his mother holding another child all sorts of trouble in this family as a result of it. Well, in our story, there is another son, and he is an older son, and his name is Ishmael. And we don't know a whole lot of, we don't know a lot about Ishmael's response upon Isaac's arrival, 
But we, sur- we soon learn that things do not go very well for Ishmael and his mother. We read about him in verses 8 to 21. Ishmael was probably a younger teenager. Some people think maybe 13 uh, when Isaac was born. And one of the things that we learn is that Abraham loves him dearly. Um, in many ways, uh, Abraham is very satisfied with his son Ishmael, but his wife Sarah, on the other hand, did not think so highly of this son Ishmael. And this trouble has been brewing for quite some time. Because if you look back in Genesis 16, uh, you learn the story surrounding the birth of Ishmael. And what you learn is that Abraham and Sarah had grown very tired of waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And so they take matters into their own hands. Sarah offers Hagar, her slave, to Abraham, and Abraham sleeps with Hagar, and Ishmael is born as a result of that. And even Ishmael's birth was miraculous in and of itself, because Abraham was still pretty old at this point. So, So Ishmael's birth was a miraculous birth in and of itself. But what we learn is that Ishmael was not the son of God's promise. Instead, what Ishmael becomes is he becomes a monument to Sarah and Abraham's unbelief. He he becomes a monument, a physical reminder of their taking matters into their own hands and forgetting the promises of God. And that's all fine and well, but now the son of God's promise has arrived, and instantly Sarah no longer has any need for Ishmael and his mother, Hagar. She wants them gone. She wants them disposed of. Ishmael was useful when he was the only son around. He could serve as an heir, but now that Isaac was here, Ishmael became disposable to Sarah. She wanted nothing to do with him, and she wanted all of them gone. And so Ishmael and, and, and his mother Hagar become exiled from the family. They are sent into the desert. They are sent into the wilderness. They are discarded of. They are disposed of. And as the passage goes on, we learn that, that Hagar cannot bear this situation. She realizes almost immediately that her son is about to die, and she cannot bear that fact. So she puts him under a tree, she puts him under a bush, and then she moves a distance away because she can't bear to see him die. She begins weeping uncontrollably. But then the passage tells us that her tears, her cries, were recognized by God. The sound of her weeping reached the ears of God, and God steps in and responds to her tears. God comes to Hagar. He comes to her making promises as well. The angel of the Lord meets them. He preserves them. He protects them. And then he promises to Hagar that her son Ishmael will become a great nation too. You see, friends, despite the fact that Ishmael was a monument to God's or to Abraham's disbelief, despite the fact that he was not the son of the promise, God still comes to them soaked in grace as well. He hears the cry of the oppressed and the lonely. He comes in grace to those who cry out to him. 
And so what we have here is a story about two sons, two sons whose mothers had both lost hope. And what God does is he meets both of them in their hopelessness because after all, God loves to challenge relentless hopelessness in the lives of his people. God gives one mother the hopeful laughter of joy in the place of her barrenness, and he gives another mother hope of a future in the face of certain death. And friends, God longs to bring hope to the darkest corners of your hearts as well. So ultimately, this is a story about two sons, but what we learn about the entirety of the Scriptures is that ultimately the whole Bible is the story about another son, and that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. His birth was also unlikely. The angel of God came to a poor teenager and told her that she would be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and that she would bear a son. Jesus' birth was also the fulfillment of the promises of God. Because Genesis tells us that right after Adam and Eve had committed that first sin and received the curses as a result of it, God came to them hinting at, alluding at the fact that at one point he would send a rescuer and that rescuer would come and make right everything that had gone wrong in the world. And God's people, they were called to wait in faith for this son of promise to come. And for thousands upon thousands of years, God's people had waited and waited and waited for a Savior to come. No doubt some of them had fallen into their own resignation, their own disbelief and cynicism as to whether this Savior would ever come. But then the Savior arrives. Jesus Christ is born bringing laughter and joy in the midst of relentless hopelessness. But just like Ishmael, this son of God would be exiled as well. He, just like Ishmael, would be led out of the city, out of the city gates and the village to die. You see, Jesus was the Isaac, the son of the promise, who would be treated like Ishmael. But unlike Ishmael, rather than being rescued by God, he would need to endure. His cry for deliverance would remain unanswered. He would need to endure through all of the thirst and all of the desperation. And this he did so that you and I, so that we could be delivered from relentless hopelessness. Because through his work on the cross, we can be met with the joyful laughter and grace that is beyond all measure. And so, friends, don't be locked in the hopelessness of disbelief and cynicism. Instead, as one author wrote, rise above self-interest enough to bow in wide-eyed wonder and gratitude at the sovereign grace of God. 
I want to close with the words of Psalm 1 and 26, or at least some of the words, because it so captures this story and the message of the gospel. It says this, reflect on these words. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. Let's pray.